0: If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to have two three different readings. We'll start in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately." They went away and found the colt tied near the door outside the street. As they were untying, it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went to the temple, and we had looked around at everything. It was already late, and he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now we'll be reading out of John 12, 12 through 16. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, and it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. Just like the reading that we saw on the scrolls this morning, he did not come on a white horse or a black stallion like most kings that were conquering kings would do. He came into the city On an unbridled, unhandled, unbroken colt. That's a miracle in itself. Okay. Anybody that's ever worked with horses understand, or colts or donkeys understand. And he was riding a donkey on top of that. That's even more miraculous. But he comes comes riding in, not as a conquering king, but as a servant king. He came through his birth, humbly, meek and mild, in a stable. He came as a king, victorious, but not as the conquering king that we had anticipated. See, this day is about Palm Sunday. This day is about rejoicing because the king has come. And the truth is, the king had come. But we can see the truth. And matter of fact, we were defining truth, or they were, in such wrong parameters that they were sorely disappointed when they didn't realize their anticipation or their expectation of what they thought truth would be. The clues that we want to talk a little bit about today is this. is Facts and truth are not always the same. Oftentimes, they're not. For example, a fact could be that I've got allergies or I'm sick, but the truth is that I'm healed in Jesus' name. In other words, I'm going to get over this. He's wonderfully, creatively wired me to fight off disease and stuff. And he's given knowledge and special knowledge to different people to help develop medicines and all kinds of things to help us conquer the sicknesses that we face on this planet. But even on top of that, my complete healing is when they lay me in the ground and this body succumbs to this life and my spirit takes on the perfect healing in which Jesus has in store for all of those who believe. Amen. That's the perfect healing. And that's the truth. And knowing that truth sets me free. It really does. It sets me free from disappointment. It sets me free from fear. It sets me free from all these things that I know is temporal for this world because, see, I know the truth. And sometimes the facts don't line up with the truth. Because the facts may say that I'm dying. The facts may say that death is approaching. The facts may say that I have limited time. But the truth is, I have eternity to look forward to. The truth is, I am healed in Jesus' name. The truth is that I have victory because Jesus conquered sin and death, and he is my healer, and he is my provider. He is the one that I serve and will serve for the rest of my days, not only on this planet, but for all eternity. See, facts and truth are not always the same. There are three different types of truths that I want to talk a little bit about this morning and and, and kind of just unpack just a little bit to help us get some clues about where truth lies. Because I think we seek truth, but sometimes when we uncover some facts, we think we discover truth. But if you need to keep digging a little bit deeper, because truth is not always hidden in the facts. There is a perceived truth a perceived truth, there is a desired truth, and then there's actual truth. Now, what do you mean by perceived proof, uh, truth? Perceived tr- uh, truth is where I think that truth lies in choice. In other words, I think that true, truly happiness lies within me being able to choose what I would like to see. And so we, saw, we see this with the people that are celebrating with the palm branches and stuff. They choose to serve a conquering king, not a redeeming king. And Jesus came not to conquer but to redeem. He came that they would have life not just temporarily from the from the bondage of what they were going through with Rome, but he was seeking he was there to have redeeming value. For all eternity, and not just for the Jewish people, but for all peoples who would believe. Perceived truth is thinking that if we would make, if we had the freedom to have choice, that we would discover truth, and that's not always true. Here's another thing about uh, uh, perceived truth: is this is that we perceive that if we have the power, that we can discover or we can make truth happen. And that's not true. Matter of fact, there's an old saying and it's very true that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. In our society today, we're having a lot of big movements that are trying to course correct in our society different wrongs or uh, things that were, uh, are, are not good that are happening in the workplace. For example, this Me Too movement. Have you all heard of that? Uh, it's been happening for years now. It's where these women are coming out and they're talking about being uh, sexually abused or, or sexually uh, unwanted advances has been taking place for them. And, and <clears throat> these men are being accused and they're, they're being convicted and they're going to jail. And that's a good thing. Let me just say that. It's a good thing. Here's the problem. The problem is that most people say that the problem is with powerful men that are in these big positions and places. And that's not the truth. That's part of the facts right now. But the problem is power in itself, not the gender of the person. Matter of fact, you will find as women become more and more in these power positions and stuff, you will find that there will be the same kind of things, maybe not exactly, but there'll be the same things that will come out because power pursues personal preference. Power is the problem, not powerful men. It's power in itself. Jesus came that he would conquer all power. Because God has all power and He's the only one that can handle it. Now, you say, Well, what do you mean? Is power bad? And power No, power's not bad. Power's only bad when there's a vacuum or absence of character. And the problem is we don't have people of character anymore, or very few, because people are not being raised, being taught what character is. We've got kids now that's going to school and they, they make character a club that you can join to discover a character, men of character club and all this kind of stuff. And Isaac and, and Austin and, 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 uh, and Cameron, they were part of this character club and, and asked me what I thought about it. And I said, I didn't think much about it. I, th- I think it's a good thing. It's, it's fine for those kids probably doesn't have a daddy or no influence and stuff, which is a lot by the way. But I said, "I guarantee you, boys, you're going to find enough character in what I'm going to do, you'll survive. And you do and you'll do well. OK? We're not having character taught in the homes like it should be, because it takes discipline and it takes effort and it takes energy to do. And to be honest with you, we're too caught up in what we want to do than invest in our children to know, make sure they get what they need to be done. Power with character brings hope and it brings a goodness that will help bring us to the next level. But the problem is, again, we are characterless. We are void because, again, we used to have people full of, of churches, Sunday schools, and stuff like that. And you don't see it anymore. You don't see kids in Sunday school learning character and learning the Bible lessons and doing what they're supposed to do. They stay staying home and doing what they want to do or doing what they're having family time at home instead of understanding the family needs time with the family of God. That's where character is developed and taught. <clears throat> now I know I'm on a, a little pet peeve here, but I'm going to keep riding this mule since Jesus rode one. I'm going to ride one too. The fact of the matter is, it's time we started realizing that we need to invest in these children. You know why we build a big old building back here? So we can take care of these children and invest in these children, because the children are the future of the nation. And I'm going to tell you something. When I'm here, I'm just going to chase this rabbit, and hopefully I can shoot it before we get done. It's not part of my notes or sermon at all, but I'm going to shoot it. You see this flag right here? It stands for the United States of America. Supposed to be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Amen? Amen? Woo! Lord, I fought for this flag, I fought for this nation, I fought for the rights and the privileges. I served in the United States Army. In the king of battle, artillery. This man right here, thank you. This man right here served in the Marines. I just found this out a while ago. And he was one of those, you know, weird kind of people. <laughs> he was on recon he was recon He was a dangerous kind of kind of fellow okay he served his country i love his country but listen you need to hear me correctly people are getting confused nowadays about what patriotism and christianism is i love this country but that makes me no christian That's right. are you listening to me People are getting confused. They think that if they're good patriots, they're automatically Christians. That is not true. There is one flag right here that we fly. It's called the Christian flag. It's lift high the cross of Jesus and the banner of Jesus. Jesus is what makes me a Christian. Jesus being crucified, dead, and buried, and raised on the third day is what makes me a Christian when I repent of my sins and I accept him. That's what makes me a Christian. It's not because I served in the United States Army and I stand up and I put my hand over my heart or I salute this flag. That just makes me a patriot but this flag and representing this God and this Savior makes me a Christian. You need to hear that. We're confused in this society. This nation's supposed to be under God, but I don't worship this nation. I worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the one who's redeemed me, given me a hope and a place and a promise. He's the one who's prepared for me a place that I can go and dwell with him for all eternity. This is the King that has my life. This is the King that owns my soul. This is the King who is the truth. This is the King who gives me my freedom. This is the King who gives me my healing. This is the King who provides my resources. This is the king, it's my high tower and fortress. This is the king that I will serve all the days of my life. Amen, amen. And, and that's not a perceived truth. That's not a desired truth. That is the actual truth. And it sets you free. It sets you free. This morning, I wondered how are we operating and where are we getting our cues? Is our cues from what is socially just and what is socially right and we line up a bunch of facts and try to make truth out of it? Are we understanding what true truth really is? Now listen, there's a lot. Of, some truth is found in facts, especially if, if you're trying to do empirical truth or if you're trying there's different kinds of truth, empirical truth, spiritual truth, social justice truth, all these things that comes about. And you can't ignore all the facts. Some people want to make up their own truth and, and ignore the facts and say, this is, this is my truth. If you don't find it here, and if you don't find it in the Spirit of God, and you don't find it in the banner of Christ, and you don't find it there, then you need to look at the facts and let them discover the kind of truth that you're trying to discover. In other words, if you're arguing with somebody and they And they take this prayer cross right here and they say, well, this prayer cross is purple. And you say, well, no, it's not. It's blue. Well, why do you say it's blue? Because it looks blue to me. It may look blue to you, but it's purple. (laughs) That's the facts and the truth just happens to lie in that fact. Understand that facts and truth are not synonymous, but they often are. Are you hearing me? They often are. Desire truth. Desire truth is a result of my fa- my values. My values. The problem is again we have no character in the world because children are not being trained with character. They get to do their own thing to go to these colleges and run rampant and and do all kinds of stuff and they drink like a sieve, they take dope and they sleep with people like it's just this, you know the runner mill thing, and, 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 and not all of them do. let will be fair, not all of them do. I've got a son there, and he's not. I hope. The fact of the matter is, a lot of them don't, but most do. They're free, they're learning, they're doing all kinds of different things and they've had no baseline. I can't tell you how many times that Isaac's called me on the phone. He said, Daddy, I just want to thank you. And I said, well, law, I haven't given it. I haven't deposited any money in his account. I haven't done anything lately. I don't, I don't know what he's thanking me for. You know? He said, no, I just want to thank you. And I said, Why's that? He said, I want to thank you because you raised me. And he says, I'm with a bunch of kids around here obviously has had no raising. None whatsoever. That's a sad testimony. That's a sad testimony. Desired truth are my values that's being impl- 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 implicated in life. In other words, they're what my desires are, of the heart are desires of the flesh. In other words, this is blue, right? That's a desired truth because I want it to be, not because it is, just because I want it to be. We've got to get... If our nation is going to heal, we've got to get past petty fighting about desired values or desired truth and start discovering factual truth and actual truth and discerning the difference between. Having honest dialogue and conversation, again, based on actual truth and not desired truth. Understanding the values that goes along with what scripture and what God commands of what is good, decent, and right. Revelations, he said, in the latter days, there will be called people that will be calling good evil and evil good. And Lord, do we really need to say that we're in those times? I don't even think we need to say it, do we? The actual truth is God loves us. The actual truth is God didn't come to give us what we want. He gave, came to die for us to give us what we need. Jesus loves us so much that he gave his all sacrificially that we would have not what we desired but what we need. He came, he died, and he went to the grave not to give us what we want to wanted but what we need. He went to the grave, but the third day he rose. That we may have what we need, not what we wanted. I don't know what you want today, but I guarantee you God knows what you need. The truth is, He's waiting for you to surrender. The truth is, He's waiting for you to accept Him, the King that He is, not the King that you want to make Him. The truth is, He has conquered death. He has conquered Everything that this world has to throw at us, he has conquered us, conquered it. And he did that because it's what we need. The question is, how will we walk in it? Well, the first way and the first thing that we do to walk in that is that we must remember he is the truth. We must remember. And so many times it's easy for us to forget Amen? Amen. You, you forget stuff? Amen. I, I forgot half of what I was going to preach about this morning. And I got it wrote down. Right. I still forget it. But I, I shot that rabbit though, didn't I? <laughs> Did my mic go off or just me? I don't know. But anyway, it doesn't matter. There you go. Remembering is a big part of us. And sometimes we have to. To remember and be proud to remember. And it's why it's so important that these days we remember Palm Sunday and we rejoice on Easter Sunday. So important for us as we take the sacraments of communion. It helps us to remember what Jesus did. I read not too long ago in church, I believe it was maybe three weeks ago, in Deuteronomy where, uh, they were talking about, the author was talking about, we need to tell our children. We need to show them the ways of God and the things of God because they weren't there when the Red Sea parted. They weren't there when Pharaoh's army was crushed and, and brought down. They weren't there when all everybody was fed with manna and the water came out of the rock. They weren't there to see that. We must tell them that they will remember this God of provision, this God of deliverance, this God of redemption. We must tell them. We must teach them. And we ourselves must remember. We must remember what Jesus did. And we must remember who Jesus is. That's what communion helps us do. Jesus, as he wrote in on that colt, told the 12 to go to the upper room that was prepared for them. There he anticipated to eat the meal of the Passover. By the way, the Passover meal, why, why was it done? Why did they, a Jewish people, why did they do the Passover meal? To remember, the to remember that God spared them when the death angel came by, the blood was put on the, st- uh, the door stoop of the house, and the death angel passed them by. It was the meal of the Passover when everybody was moaning and groaning, and you could hear them. And I know this happened because it was in a Charleston Heston movie, and I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> he don't lie, he was Moses. We make I like a little levity every now and then, but it's true. It helps us to remember. The screams. I can just imagine in my, my mind's eye, minus Charleston Heston. I can still imagine the screams and things that was taking place with the death angel was visiting and coming to each home. But because the blood of the lamb, <laughs> hear this because of the blood of the lamb, the death angel passed by and we were spared. Amen? He was remembering what God himself had done because of the blood of the Lamb. Because he was giving the blood of the Lamb that the death angel would no longer have claimed to us would pass us by. And we'd have life everlasting. I don't know if that doesn't get you. We need to dry your wood out. It's been a lot of rain going on. It's good. As he was meeting with the disciples to remember the Passover he instituted a new ordinance a, a, a new sacrament where we remember what Jesus was fixing to do was about to do. He was about to be arrested beaten bruised battered for our transgressions and our iniquities. And but because of his beatings and his stripes, we're healed. Ultimately, we're healed. He was embarrassed, shamed before men, stripped of his clothes, put on a cross that crucified him. His blood came streaming down that old wooden cross because of my actions and yours. He gave freely, even though he struggled to breathe, lifting his body and surges, praying constantly in the midst of him Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But he told the disciples, he knew that this was going to happen. And he says, Take this bread, it's broken like my body will be broken. Take this wine, this juice, drink it for my blood will be shed. And remember, remember, remember that these things were done that you may know the truth and it'll set you free. It'll set you free. Free from death. Free from fear. Free from anxiety. Free from these things that seem to press in on us each and every day. Jesus did this that we may know truth. It sets us free. He sent the Holy Spirit after he is gone to enable us to remember and to act out all the things that God has commanded us. This morning, let's remember. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. And pour yourself out on these elements for bread and juice that they may be for us the body and the blood of Jesus. That we may remember what He did for us on that wooden tree. Help us, Lord, to live faithfully in truth each and every day of our lives. We remember You, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We would love for you to connect with us online. On our website, you'll find up-to-date information about everything happening around here. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please, download our free app on your smartphone or tablet. We are so glad you're here today. We hope you feel at home, and we hope you enjoy your friendship experience.